let us continue our study of our walk through the book of Romans, or the letter to the church at Rome by the Apostle Paul. Let's read these first three verses together by way of beginning the lesson this morning. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 23. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In this section, Paul begins to demonstrate God's rescue plan for man's plight. Man is in a terrible plight because they are sold under sin, because they're in the bondage of sin. Previously, we've seen the advantage of knowing the desperate situation, of being aware of what's going on. Now we begin to understand the advantage of the full extent of the privilege of those who believe and obey. The conclusion of chapter 3 that we're beginning here reads like a solemn proclamation. They reveal, these verses reveal that the single, decisive, once for all, redemptive act of God has taken place on the cross of Calvary when Jesus Christ was crucified. It should be noted that according to Paul, the central focus of the gospel is not exclusively the crucifixion of Christ. For if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then he would have died in vain. The cross would have been worthless, would have been meaningless, if he had not been exalted into heaven in the ascension. The center of the Christian system of redemption, the remedial system that God has put in place, and is discovered at the cross but it's fulfilled in the resurrection and the ascension and the exaltation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our soon-coming King. I think this is part of the reason why it is so important that we never lose focus of the resurrection. Because if the resurrection, Paul says, had not taken place, then Christ's death would have been in vain. Let's move on. Here we have God's plan for man's justification. This is literally the unfolding of the scheme of redemption as Paul began in the introduction in the very beginning of the letter found in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 where he says, where he proclaims, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's a quotation from words in Habakkuk, which we will talk about here in just a few moments. But now, these words, but now, if you look in your scriptures, that's where the Apostle Paul is beginning this next section of this great document. He is introducing a new idea, a new thought. Paul, with his inspired pen, begins to announce God's present plan of how things are in this day. We learn that justification means to be released from sin, to be forgiven from sin. Secondly, justification also means to be accepted as just. That God, by his own decree, 
accepts the righteous, accepts as righteous the just man, or accepts as righteous or just all who believe and obey the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, is crushing proof that all have sinned, none are absolved, no excuse is given, and therefore all people everywhere stand in need of God's justification. Moving right on. The next phrase we want to look at is without the law. The righteousness of God is as revealed simply cannot be obtained by observance or adherence to some moral code. When we say today as members of the Lord's body, as members of the Lord's church, <coughs> that one must be baptized in water for the remission of sins, we are not proclaiming, we are not teaching that we must adhere to some law of morality in order to be saved. That is a condition of salvation, a condition of God's grace that he has established for us. That is not us earning our salvation or making ourselves worthy of God's grace. No work, no action on our part will ever do that in in our lives. Justification simply cannot be had by man fulfilling the law. Then Paul makes the statement that this was witnessed by the law and the prophets. A common way to refer to the entirety of the Old Testament. Paul points out that the Old Testament foreshadowed the plan of salvation in the ceremonies and in the figures of the old law. We learn that the Old Testament definitely has a place in the Christian's library of his life as a, as a Christian and as a student of the Word of God. Because the way of salvation was predicated in the Old Testament. In chapter 4, Paul gives an example of Abraham from the law. He gives an example of David from the prophets. And this teaches us that even under the old system, the righteousness of God that Paul is talking about was obtained by faith. And I'm looking forward to getting into chapter 4 as we examine those two, to, to examine those two men and see how Paul makes that application in our lives today. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Behold his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. And he, referring to Abraham, believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. David says in Psalm 32 verse 1 and 2, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Through, though the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law and the prophets, they were not opposed to each other. The law and the prophets are not opposed to the grace of God. The law and the prophets anticipated them, predicted them, and serve us, serve to show us examples of how men are justified without the law. Moses Lard, in his excellent commentary, rendered this phrase, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, just a little bit differently. <clears throat> Makes a little bit more sense, in my opinion. He says it should be rendered, even God's justification by faith 
or belief in Jesus Christ. It's not counter to the previous verses. It's not counter to what's gone before. If you notice the grammar, notice the punctuation specifically, it's actually part of the same sentence. This is the system. This is the system by which God calls righteous people. And it's conditioned upon our faith or trust in Jesus. Paul means the same trust that he describes in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, where he says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. That trust is implied in obedience to Christ's law. Again, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 comes, comes into play here. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Please note again, the just shall live by faith. But note the association of obedience and faith. All throughout the Roman letter, we will be noticing this. We will be picking up on this in, in clear Clarion tones, we will see justification does not happen without obedience to the conditions that God has prescribed. God declares men righteous or justified because of their faith in Jesus Christ, a faith that is inexorably coupled with obedience, a faith that is in the only begotten Son of God. This is righteousness based on a condition being met. A con that condition being belief in Jesus Christ. Not the sole condition, not the only condition, but I would say the primary condition. Because from this confidence or from this trust, from this belief, all other conditions and the obedience springs. Let's move right on. Paul talks about faith in Jesus Christ, trust in him. Modern world today would have us to believe that that's all you have to do. All one must do is believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and they're saved. That's not what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. He's speaking primarily to the Jewish Christians who have struggled in, in the freedom that have been granted them by the grace of Jesus. Paul has succinctly in the previous two chapters demonstrated that all have sinned. Whether Jew or Gentile, everybody is under the bondage of sin. He is not saying that everybody is born in sin. It's not original inherited depravity that he's talking about. He's saying that all people at some point in their life, because of the nature of their humanity, have chosen to go against God. So all need the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. And now he begins to show that all people, Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian, can have the righteousness of God given to them when they meet the conditions of the faith. God's way of saving man has been manifested. And it was even, be, even before that, it was witnessed to in the law and the prophets. Sadly, regrettably, not all will profit from the gift of God's righteousness through Jesus Christ. Many today, according to Matthew chapter 7, many throngs will 
not profit because they will not meet the conditions. Paul makes it emphatically clear. Upon all, unto all, and upon all them that believe. This is the who that the grace has appeared to. The point of the passage is this. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is actually available to all people. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom to all. Talking about Jesus Christ. To be testified of in due time. The point of the passage is that the righteousness of God is available to everyone, to all men. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. There's no other qualifier before faith in Jesus Christ. This does not mean that believing is all that we must do, contrary to modern doctrine today. It does mean that having faith or believing in Jesus Christ is the first thing, and I would say the most important thing, that we must do. Paul makes this statement now. and says, for there is no difference. If one reads this phrase as it's recorded in our common versions with verse 22, then we would conclude that there's no distinction in humanity as to how they will be justified. And certainly we would agree with that. All who are saved are saved upon the condition of faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that leads us to obedience. We call that an obedient faith. However, if we read this phrase in conjunction as some uh, more later versions have done with verse 23, our older versions rather, then we have to conclude in this case there's no distinction among men as to who needs this justification. In reality, both can be expressed correctly. There is no distinction as to how the righteousness or the justification is received, nor is there any distinction as to who needs the righteousness of God, rich and poor, Jew and Greek, Regardless of what race or social status we may be, we all need the righteousness of God. And we all must meet the exact same conditions. There is no difference. Paul makes this statement next. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I think that this is what you might call a landmark verse in the Bible. It's easy to remember. It's easy to memorize. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's short, but it's also full of doctrinal truth. We know what sin is. Simply sin means to miss the mark. That's what the word here is, a markia. The mark or the bullseye is keeping the law. No man has ever kept the law perfectly. No mortal man has ever kept the law perfectly. And so all have missed the mark or sinned and they also miss out on the glory of God. Mankind have missed the law mark set by the law. Therefore, the, for the law to be effective, it can never declare a man righteous. It can only declare men guilty in order for it to be effective. 
Paul says they have come short of the glory of God. Man was created in God's image. God's glory. We sin, when we sin, we fall short of that image. Man falls short of that image <clears throat> in the praise that we would offer to God if we had not sinned. Consider Isaiah 43, verse 7. Everyone that is called by my name, I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Man falls short of the glory of God because man does not live up to the moral standards that are inherent in God's personal character. Not one of us are as holy as he is. Not one of us are as right as he is. He cannot lie. We can. He cannot deceive. We can. Man has also fallen short of the glory of God by forfeiting the future glory, heaven, turning their back on the riches of the promises that God has given. Man falls short of the glory of God by sin. Whatever form it may take, when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God and we mar the character of God that he has put in us. Ecclesiastes tells us that God created man upright, but man has sought out evil devices or evil works. In other words, by our own choice, according to the king, according to King Solomon, the preacher there, man has chosen to sin. That's how we fall short of the glory of God and gives us some idea, a clue of what that means. And then the Apostle Paul gives us another sentence to discuss. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of them which believe in Jesus. Again, contrary to the denominational concept of salvation, justification is not a one and done thing. Rather, judging by the character here, justification is something that God does for man over and over again. Now, that doesn't mean that there needs to be multiple baptisms, that every time that we sin, we have to be baptized again. Because Hebrews teaches us that we are priests unto God, and therefore as his children, even as wayward children, we can go directly into our, his presence and ask for forgiveness and be assured of that forgiveness. We don't have that privilege before we're immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. Justification is God's way of saving a man. We need to remember, justification cannot be earned, purchased or merited or, or made worthy by any man. Commentators and scholars, by and large, have a very shallow concept of what scripture is actually teaching here. Justification is a process, not an act like they commonly teach. Since this is a gift that cannot be purchased by man, no man is so rich that he can buy it. No man is so poor that he cannot obtain it. Literally, 
anyone who hears the gospel and chooses to obey that form of doctrine can meet the condition of faith or belief in Jesus Christ and then can be justified. By his grace, demonstrates why God provided the needed justification to man who had become sinners. Before time began, God looked in favor upon his creation. And with that favor or grace came the divine will to do whatever needed to erase the effects of sin. We can thank God and praise God for his grace all day and every day, and we should. Ephesians chapter four, um, chapter 1, verse 4 through 14 tells us, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Let us learn clearly here that God's grace is demonstrated to us, poured out freely upon us in his offer of salvation. No action on man's part precipitated this offer. No action on man's part precipitated this offer. None. Not one. It cannot be emphasized enough, strongly enough. Grace, God's unmerited favor, is seen in the historical fact of the crucifixion. Grace is free. This grace is free. But it's not cheap. It cost God his only begotten son. John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This grace, not earned by man. Man cannot do anything to earn this grace that was portrayed to us on the bloody hill of Golgotha. Through the redemption that is in Christ, the thing redeemed for man is life. He lost his life when he sinned. Lost it long ago in the Garden of Eden. God pronounced upon mankind the sentence of death because, according to Romans chapter 3, all have sinned. Genesis 2 verse 17. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat it. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. The sin was eaten of the tree. That's when Adam and Eve missed the mark. The mark was not to eat the tree. It was a very simple, easy thing to not do. They chose to do differently. They missed the mark. They sinned. And because they sinned, they died. They lost their life. The penalty is eternal life, or eternal death, rather, in judgment, in hell, in punishment. But by the grace of God, we have eternal life offered to us today. Christ has come along and offered his own life in the place of ours. Thus he bought us off from sin and its penalty. He gave his life for ours and released us from sin and its consequences. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 13. You are bought with a price. Be not servants of men. Acts chapter 20 verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To feed the church of God. Listen. Which he purchased with his own blood. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Hebrews 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed, with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Revelation 5, verse 9. They sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. This ransom, this redemption, this justification exists only as a provision of divine grace. We're bought off from our sins based on conditions. The conditions are faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to His law. Then and then only are we redeemed or ransomed, released from the bondage of sin, and forgiven. That idea of redemption is, is, in full, is in full view right here. That man owed a debt he could not pay, and that God paid a debt that he did not owe in sending his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. The redemption that is in Christ is it the redemption which he has paid for? The price was his blood. 